You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Tuesday, the 26th of October, 2021. Thank you all for tuning in. On tonight's program, we're going to be looking at some scripture and looking at the the law and the gospel. The law and the gospel. Recently, I was reading, a few weeks ago, actually, I was reading a book called uh, The Pastor, His Call, Character, and Work. It's a compilation of a number of different things that were written over the years by um, either faculty or friends of the Princeton faculty of like the 19th century, back, <laughs> back when you could say that Princeton was a very godly place and put out many, many, and educated many godly men who blessed the church mightily. So um, now if you are listening to this live, um, there's nothing wrong with your screen or anything like that. Um, this program is going to be at the time on the, as advertised on the live section, megidoradio.com forward slash live. And it will, it's just going to be audio only for that. And that's just purely convenience. Hopefully that will work out for people and, there will be some things going up to YouTube, but not everything will go up to YouTube. And uh, it depends on the program. Some will go up, some won't. And uh, hopefully um, hopefully, people won't be too disappointed. I know that there was a great chat room that was kind of developing <laughs> there for a while in YouTube. And uh, apologies for that. Maybe we'll find some way to do that in the future. But I find this is the, the most efficient way of doing it. Also, just to let people know, most likely the program will be on about five o'clock, maybe 5.30. I'd say five o'clock would be a safe time to, to shoot for. Uh, if you want an update on that, follow the Megiddo Radio page on Facebook. That's still really only, the only way, real way to get updates. If there's any changes to the schedule or anything like that. So the Megiddo Radio, M-E-G-I-D-D-O Radio um, on Facebook and if you if you follow that page, there will be the updates on that, Lord willing. So I imagine the the program will be on at five o'clock instead of six o'clock next Thursday, purely because of um, well, there's a there's a psalm singing that night in in one of our in one of our congregations in our denomination, and that's far more important. <laughs> so um, if people are getting together and psalm singing in, in, in this time when everybody's afraid of singing, I am there. <laughs> and uh, try and get together with people as much as possible, try and encourage people to do things like this, because um, we've got to, even if the rest of the world won't, we have to get back to normal as quickly as possible, because I think more and more people are realizing our reaction to the last 18, 18 months has been damaging. 
and I'm seeing that more and more. And I, I share some of the responsibility as well. I'm not saying, I think many of us overreacted to the threat. And it's probably just in the age in which we live in. We live in an age of we can get Twitter and all this kind of stuff. And we don't know what to do with the information, quite frankly. So uh, hopefully we will learn and get back to normal as quickly as possible and not be every time we step outside our door, imagining every threat that can possibly get at us. Uh, it's, it's dangerous for many, many reasons, not least for our mental health, but above all else, our spiritual health. It's, it's just not good. And um, anyway, so we're going to begin the program with a section of scripture, and I have changed it up a little bit. The, the section of scripture we're going to be reading is going to just be directly connected to whatever we're talking about today. Today we're going to be talking about the law and the gospel and its importance to preaching, and we're going to be going off the comments from Archibald Alexander, and he wrote... Uh, the chapter we're going to be looking at from this great book from um, published by Banner recently. Um, Archibald and Alexander made these comments about the law and the gospel with regards to preaching. Um, I would definitely recommend anyone get this book. The Pastor, it's called. It's written by various people. Uh, there's an introduction by Sinclair Ferguson at the beginning, but it's got articles and sermons and different things um a lot of sermons really heartwarming excellent stuff it was given to me as a present about a month ago because the students were given a, a an amazing present one of the nicest presents i've been given i love i love being given gifts of books I absolutely love it um and it was a, it was sometimes you get a book and it's not so good this book is amazing i i highly recommend it. it it's been published recently by banner of truth and i think if you're thinking about the ministry or are in the ministry it's a must buy and i would encourage you to buy it okay so uh before we get into that galatians chapter 3 we're going to be reading which ties in with this topic we're looking at this evening so, and if there's any confusion again, if anybody's listening right now and they're confused why there's no, there is no visual for the live, uh, it's because this program is audio only when, when it's going live on Sermon Audio or we get a radio.com forward slash live. Galatians chapter three, and before we read down to verse nine, we're going to pray to almighty God. Heavenly Father. Please help us, O Lord. Bless those who are listening live through uh, Sermon Audio. Bless those who are listening through the, the live link. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless us as we hear your word and help us, O Lord, to be blessed through thinking about this topic of the law and the gospel, that we would not in any way contaminate the gospel through bringing in the law into the gospel. Keep these things distinct. O oh Lord, give us wisdom. Fill us with, with the truth of your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Let us hear God's word. O oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before those whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. 
This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now become made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness? Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And may God bless his holy and infallible word. So we're going to be looking at the comments of Archibald Alexander. And if you happen to have this book, The Pastor, it is the comments I'm going to be looking at and reading through and commenting on is from page page 125 onwards in the chapter, Rightly divide, rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. And this was originally part of Archibald Alexander's Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth, the Princeton Pulpit, edited by John T. Duffield, uh, originally published in the mid-19th century in 1853. Um, he talks about different aspects of a good workman. Um, and he gets down to ways of dividing, rightly dividing the word of truth. He's commenting on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then he gets down to point five. He's, he's got a, quite a number of points on this. But then he gets down to point five, which is, he says this, a good workman will so divide the work of truth as clearly as distinguished, as clearly as to distinguish between the law and the gospel, between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Now, if you've been listening to this program for long enough, I have in the past dealt with such issues, but maybe not under this title of law and the gospel. This is not unique at all to me, hardly. Uh, this goes right back to the Reformation. This goes right back to at least early Lutheranism, um, the Reformed, William Perkins, on and on and on. They would always emphasize massively the importance of distinguishing between the law and the gospel. Between, another way of saying it is the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, as Archibald Alexander says here. Um, the covenant of works, very, very briefly, is that covenant with Adam before the fall, by which he maintained a relationship with God because of by virtue of him continuing in obedience. This is a simplified explanation of it. I've done full programs on this before. Feel free to go to megidoradio.com for more. But the covenant of works was 
man's part, if you want to put it like that, was very much perfect personal obedience. Now, since the fall, that is completely impossible. And since the fall, that relationship, that positive relationship with God looks favorably upon man is all of grace. All of grace. And that's where the covenant of grace comes in. The covenant of grace comes in from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And another way of saying the covenant of works is the law. The law. Here's the perfect, righteous standard by which you will be judged. Here is the perfect standard by which you must attain to that condemns you in the last day unless you're in Christ. This is the moral character of God. This is it's summarized in the Ten Commandments. It's summarized in the two great commandments in the New Testament. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Another way of saying the law of God you could, is love. God is love. If Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. But it is that perfect right, standard of righteousness by which a person must attain to, to have right standing before God. The just shall live by faith, but it's the, they have to be just. And they have to reach that standard of the law, the commandments. That's the law. That's the covenant of works. The covenant of grace is the gospel. It is gracious. It is provided not by the person, but by another. Because it's of grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. We notice from Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. So, he must clearly, and, and actually, this book, the pastors, as you probably imagine, is written to ministers, but this is important for everybody. How we can learn to not contaminate the gospel. That is not just something for the the minister hardly most important for the minister most important for the elders all of them whether ruling or teaching elder important massively important for the deacons massively important for fathers for mothers as they teach their children the next generation massively important for the next generation that they would know god Archibald Alexander goes on to say this, No mistakes in religion have been more frequent or more fatal than those who relate to the terms of a sinner's acceptance with God or the true method of justification. Say again, No mistakes in religion have been more frequent, number one, or more fatal than those which relate to the, to the terms of a sinner's acceptance with God. On what standard? So the law is massively important because it is the standard by which we are acceptable before God. Now, that the law has been fulfilled by Christ. He has obeyed the law perfectly. The gospel 
is by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Keeping them distinct one from another. We, as fallen sinners, cannot be accepted anymore by the law. We've broken the law. Our greatest deeds are but filthy rags. Any attempt to gain acceptance before God based on our law-keeping will only bring more condemnation upon us. If, however, we trust in the one by faith, which is graciously given by God, if we trust in the one who provides the perfect keeping of the law, then we are accepted before him. The law and the gospel must be presented and must be kept distinct. Now, get back to Archibald Alexander because he makes excellent points here. The mistakes, Alexander writes, are the most are the more to be dreaded because they seem to have the sanction of reason which dictates that a just God will treat men according to their works. Upon a superficial view, it would seem as if the doctrine of grace or justification by faith alone was unfriendly to holiness. Let's just stop there. You know, it's like, Upon a superficial view, it would seem that the doctrine of grace, or justification by faith alone, was unfriendly to holiness, or another way of saying that is, it may look like it, it, it promotes lawlessness or antinomianism, because it has nothing to do, it is not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. It is not based upon our performance, the law. It is based upon the gospel, and the, the gracious provision provided in the gospel. I hope we can see why this is so vital to keep distinct, and I hope we can also see why it is to be, both of them have to be explained. You know, if the law is not explained to a sinner, they think they're okay. If the gospel is not then applied, then there is no hope. He may foolishly think he just has to try harder or something like that. Archibald Alexander goes on to write, goes on to say, More than one half of the Christian world, therefore are misled by error, more or less dangerous on this point of vital importance, are so blinded to the deficiencies of their own righteousness, that they place their whole dependence on their own good deeds, while others are willing to compromise the matter, as if their own merit may be permitted to come in for principal share in the honor of their salvation, they are willing that Christ should obtain the second place, and that by his merits their own small deficiencies should be covered. And again, this is the temptation, isn't it? To say, aha, God does his part, I do mine. And we would be foolish as well not to think that this doesn't enter into Protestant circles. It does. It does. Um, we don't just become, it's not just by faith alone at the beginning, which even Rome teaches, by the way. 
a distorted view of that, using baptism as an instrument, no doubt, but at the same time, they will say of a sort that at the beginning point of it, it is by grace alone. They'll even quote uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, at least in the Council of Trent. But then at the end, how do we maintain and keep ourselves saved, if you want to put it like that, by works? A mixture of grace plus works. Whereas we are saved, beginning, middle, and end, by grace and by grace alone. Now, Alexander writes, By a correction of error on this point of doctrine, Luther began the Reformation and called it the article of the standing or falling of the church. And this was correct, for an error here vitiates the whole theology of the man who holds it. And a minister who does not clearly preach the doctrine of justification by faith in the righteousness of Christ, though he be as learned as Paul, or as eloquent as Apollos, is not such a workman as needeth not to be ashamed. And if they can't do such a thing, no matter what learning they may have, no matter how popular they may be, they, they should be ashamed. And they no world of no business being in the ministry. So, Alexander is here saying, again commenting on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, and talking about, these are all to do with the ministry and aspects of the ministry, these chapters, that this all ties in with justification. Because you could say this, there's two ways in which we can be acceptable before God, based on our own merits or based on the merits of another. And if it's the merits of another, not because of us, then it is by grace. And not when hair's breadth of merit comes from us. Otherwise, it is not of grace. Grace and Works do not mix. For Alexander says, and this was correct, for an error here vitiates the whole theology of man who holds it, and the ministry does not clearly, does not clearly, clearly, sorry, preach the doctrine of justification by faith in the righteousness of Christ. Notice how it's the righteousness of Christ. It's his righteousness, not a bit of his and a bit of in his righteousness. We're saved in Christ. In Christ. He represents us before the Father. His righteousness, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. Um, Alexander also writes, such a one can never rightly divide the word of truth. If he miss the mark on this cardinal point, you will find him bewildered and bewildering his hearers everywhere else. The gospel in his mouth will give no distinct and intelligible sound, but will be a vague and confused report. If he essentially err, 
in regard to the method of a sinner's justification. He brings himself under the anathema of Paul for preaching another gospel, which, however, is not another, for it brings no good news to lost sinners, but sets men at work to get into paradise at the old gate, which was long ago shut up and has for thousands of years been guarded by the fiery, flaming sword of divine justice. Just going to pause there for a second. What is um, Alexander speaking of there, Archibald Alexander, when he is talking about the anathema of Paul? Well, in Galatians, we quoted at the beginning, we read from Galatians chapter 3. Well, he's talking about Galatians chapter 1. And the Galatians had fallen into an error. They began, it says, O foolish Galatians, this is chapter 3, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Uh, Verse 3 here. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You're starting off in the Spirit, but now... It's all dependent upon you. It's no longer by faith and by faith alone. This is the the error the Galatians went into. They began by grace alone, but it didn't stay that way. What did Paul say in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6? I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the gospel of grace of Christ to another gospel, to a different gospel, sorry, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then that which we were have preached to you, let him be accursed or let him be anathema. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then that which you have received, let him be accursed. So, the true gospel says it is completely dependent upon the perfect law-keeping of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it has anything to do with our keeping of the law, well, you bring down the law. You, you say that the law has a lower standard because none of us can keep the law perfectly. If our salvation in any way at any point, depended upon us, at any stage, we would be surely without hope. I think it was a MacArthur quote that's just popping into my head there, of if we could lose our salvation, we would. Because here is the simple truth that we, 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 we could never attain it in the first place because of anything we did, and we didn't keep it because of anything we did. It's all a work of grace. The law, again, sets before the sinner the righteous standard. The gospel sets before the sinner the the invitation or the command to trust in Jesus Christ because he failed so radically on the first one, on the law. And he should look at the law as doing nothing but condemning him but then he should look to the gospel for the only way to be forgiven, the only way to have his sins washed clean, the only way to be healed. 
And it's not that you just start off and you're forgiven and now again you've, you've begun in the spirit. Now you're going back to the flesh. No, not at all. Not at all. Now, I don't know if people remember, I did this thing in the last program where I said people could email me at megidoradio at gmail.com. I should have said that at the beginning of the program. And I'm going to have my email open in front of me here for megidoradio at gmail.com. If anybody wants to email me during the program, feel free. If you want to email after, that's fine as well. And let's get it open there. And uh, I don't always check it, unfortunately, and I need to get more, um, I need to get more, I need to check it more because I've really only used it just for the program. I use other e email addresses, as you, can as you can imagine, for my own personal use. But anyway, getting back, so if you have any questions during the program, radio at gmail.com, and I will do my best to get back to people. And it could be after the program as well. If you want, if you are not if you're not listening to this live uh, at the six o'clock slot, and in case anybody's getting confused, that's six o'clock in that's UK Irish time. So um, people in the United States and other parts of the world are going to have it's going to be much earlier than that. I don't know, what is it? East Coast. Uh, o'clock i suppose it's like one o'clock and then it's like early morning on the west coast so getting back to archibald alexander's comments on this i remember being richly blessed by this when i read this I was richly blessed by the book in general but I, I i particularly remember these comments jumped out in me so back we were page 126 of the pastor archibald alexander he says here again men are profane sorry Men are prone, when driven from one error, to fly to the opposite. Or rather, in shunning one extreme, to run upon the other. Oh, he knew about the internet before the internet was a thing. <laughs> I tell you. Oh, no, no, I'm joking. Look, okay. When people discover this, these kind of errors, they go to... You know, you, you see, it's typically called neonomianism. Um, and there are various famous people, well-known, through church history even, that have been kind of guilty of this. And when they discover this, even, well, some popular people today who this has become an issue with, you, you know, one particularly prominent, well-known preacher said well we don't get into heaven by faith alone yeah and i think people know who i'm talking about but when you discover this error i think the biggest danger is you discover error and then you rail against it you end up in an opposite direction you go from a legalistic tendency to an antinomian tendency and neither of them are good neither of them okay they're twins of each other. They're not distant cousins. It's, I think people have the sense of which, well, legalism is horrible, and legalism is. But then antinomian lawlessness towards the gospel and not really seeking for evidence and of true conversion, things like that, or, or 
ending up in other errors because of this. Um, they think that they see the error everywhere. And this can happen with a lot of different things. It's not just this topic. But, so, balance is needed. And we've got to be careful. I remember, give you one example where I was very, very, trying to be very, very careful. When I became a Calvinist years, I think it was about 2011, 20, was it 2011, roughly around 2012, something like that. And one of the first books I read on Calvinism wasn't one of the, just going through the five points or something like that. One of the first things I read was um, Ian Murray's book on hyper-Calvinism. It was a Spurgeon and hyper-Calvinism, I think it was. That's the name. Very good book. Because I want to know, okay, what is hyper-Calvinism? And I was afraid of going into that extreme. So tell me what the extremes are. Tell me what the... We've got to be careful that we're shaped by the word of the living God. Not saying, aha, we found the error, and then we go to the opposite extreme. By the way, the opposite extreme is also terrible as well. Okay. Um, but the problem with the internet is there's no patience. There's no, everything has to be hashed out in a, in a forum of some description. No, just, you know, things need to be thought through. And sometimes things need to be thought through for quite a long time. It might even take years before your convictions change. But that that's such thinking is foreign to our modern internet age. Go away and read some, well, especially read the scriptures, pray, ask the Lord to help you, but read some good books on topics to help you to understand the scriptures. Take your time. It, it, that's not a very exciting message to say to people today, take your time. Um, no, people want the answer yesterday. They want to, and when they do be, take on a new position, they want to be the experts on it immediately. What do people call it? Cage stage? I think people know what I mean. You're not an expert on it straight away. It takes time. Slow down, slow down. It, 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 it takes time. Here again, men are prone. So, so we read that from Archibald Alexander. For while some seek salvation by the works of the law, this is Alexander speaking uh, speaking here, for while some seek salvation by the works of the law, others deny that we have anything to do with the law. And actually, quote, by faith make void the law, unquote, pretending and teaching that the obligation of the moral law has ceased since Christ has abated in our stead. That's the danger. Some people will rail against, this is my own commentary now, some people will rail against any preaching that calls converted, believing Christians to repent and do good works to, um, especially from the moral law and things like that, and say, well, here you go, here's your legalism. And they've ran into a dangerous other extreme. The, the, the obligation of the moral law has never gone away. This is, and it's summarized in the Ten Commandments. And also I would say it's summarized. The, the moral law didn't begin at Mount Sinai. The Sabbath didn't begin at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. 
the Sabbath was being observed in Exodus chapter 16. The Sabbath has been observed since creation week. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Where do they know about it in Exodus chapter 16? It goes right back to creation week. Now, Christ has obeyed it perfectly in her stead, but it doesn't mean we're done with the law. We, we fail with the law, but we still strive to obey God. Jesus said, what did he say? If you love me, keep my commandments. What do we do? Ah, oh, well, we can't do that. We, we're, we're, we're failures. Yes, there's... I've heard it explained like this. I think it was from Joel Beakey, and he was talking about the Puritans, how the Puritans would preach. We've got to preach, or we've got to think, I suppose, as the average person, if you're not a preacher or whatever, we've got to think realistically and idealistically. Idealistically, the, the standard set before us is always the law of God. We can't just kind of go, well, I can't do it, so why bother? Th that's an unholy, ungodly attitude. We must strive with everything in us to obey the law of God. We should strive to obey the law of God perfectly. We know we can't. If we claim that we do, we're liars. But we strive. And we set before that perfect, righteous, and holy standard. But we've also got to talk preach, think, realistically. Idealistically, the standard is the perfect standard of God, and that is before us always. But realistically, we, we fail, we fall down. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ need encouragement. Every single one of us, including the, the person in the pulpit, falls short of that standard. But we can't eliminate one because one doesn't make us feel comfortable. We can't get rid of the, the realistic aspect because then we're not going to be gracious towards others who have similar struggles to us. We all have struggles, every single last one of us. Doesn't matter who you are, you have struggles. You have things that you wrestle with that you find extremely difficult. But because we struggle, we can't just say, well, the... The perfect standard of law. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, if we do say it doesn't matter, you never come to God for, for forgiveness. We should come to God for forgiveness. We should. But also seeing that when we come to God for forgiveness and the basis in which we are acceptable before God is based upon Christ. It's based upon grace. It's based upon someone else in our stead who has kept the law. Keeping, you see the, do you see, dear friend, do you see the point of keeping these things separate and distinct? Both are important in preaching. Both need to be explained properly, but kept carefully distinct. Archibald Alexander goes on to say, now this antinomian leaven is a sweet morsel to the appetite of the carnal professor. Now, let's just talk about professor of faith, not a professor in a college. But a, the carnal professor is someone who's not really showing any evidence of, of conversion. Alexander says, 
goes on to say, For he loves safety and ease, but hates self-denial and holy living. By the way, if you hate, if you hate self-denial and holy living, if you hate that, you're not a Christian. Not a Christian. But if you hate your sin and you desire, as much as you fail, you desire to follow Christ, and you you're growing in faith. It's more about the direction and perfection, and some of us fall backwards, and we have difficulty, of course. But at the same time, we don't take joy in our sin. We can't just rest at ease and in safety just to make ourselves feel better. talking about you know preaching or even dealing with other believers in Christ we should be much more gracious with the sins of others and we need to be diligent in putting to death our own sins read Romans 8 I'm going to try and finish this section here um this is in this book, the, in case anybody's just joined, the pastor, his calling, his call, sorry, character and work, highly recommended anybody who's in the ministry or even just thinking about the ministry um, or is just curious to see what people write about. Um, it, it is a great book. I, I think it's an excellent book. Um, one of the best books I've read probably in the last couple of years, actually. Now, Others again, this is Archibald Alexander, others again talk of a new law for Christians, which they call the law of liberty or sincerity, because it does not condemn for every transgression, as does the, the moral law, and does not require absolute perfection in our obedience, but is satisfied with sincerity, just as if God could change the requisitions of his law without changing his own nature, or as if it were not most absurd to suppose that any law could require less than perfect obedience to its own precepts. But we fear from another quarter that the minister of Jesus could preach free grace and finish salvation, but not utter the thunders of the law, and thus produce a spirit of bondage by bringing back the terrors of Sinai. Basically, a person falls back into sin, and that brings its own bondage. It's got to be done carefully, skillfully. It's got to be done in a gentle manner, but it's got to be done with utmost earnestness of the 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 care and the fact that you care about the person's soul so 
such persons, Alexander says, may suppose that they are the only friends of free grace. But that minister who ceases to exhibit the holy law of God in his in its spirituality, extent in a, a binding obligation, may cease to preach the gospel also. For where there are none sick, there will be no need for a physician. And where no law is preached, there will be no conviction of sin. And none crying out, what must I do to be saved? So that it is most evident the law must precede the gospel in the sinner's experience and also in rightly dividing the word of truth. Excellent, excellent points. And this is kind of why I wanted to go through this. And I said, you know what, I'm going to read through this, comment on it, and hopefully it will help people. Anybody may be thinking about the ministry. Anybody currently in the ministry. Anybody, and you don't have to be a minister to benefit from this. Um, to know when you're sharing the gospel with friends and family, they must see that they are a sinner and that the law must proceed the gospel. Because unless you see you're, you're sick, unless you see your need of healing, well, the, the healing balm of the gospel has, it, it appears or can appear as if it's there for nothing. No one goes to the medicine, get medicine from the press or wherever you keep your medicine and takes medicine when they don't believe that they're sick. If you don't have a headache, you're not going to take paracetamol or aspirin or whatever the case may be. Why would you? But if you are sick... You seek the medicine, and then the medicine is in the Lord Jesus Christ. But so often, we are so afraid of, you know, different things, of bullying people, whatever the case may be. We, we, we shy away from the demands of the law. We're afraid of making people feel bad. Well, if someone, if a loved one of yours, had a terminal illness and finding out about that illness or sickness was going to ruin their day, would you rather that the doctor said how bad they were or just kind of made light of it? I imagine because of the fact that him making making the case of how bad the situation is, uh, the sickness, that that could save that person's life because then they're more likely to go through, be it the chemotherapy or whatever else. No one's going to go through chemotherapy for nothing. The gospel says, come, deny yourselves, pick up your cross, follow Christ. And people may say, well, what's the point in that? I'm fine as I am. That's the way they think. Unless they see how sinful they are. There's no hope. Now, the person who sees themselves as, as a sinner, the person who sees himself as a wretch, he needs the gospel applied to him. There are people with very tender consciences, saved. They need the comforts of the gospel. They need to be told about the joys of Christ. They need to be told about 
what they have in Christ and how God delights in them because of Christ. And then they've been told what they've been rescued from so that they're more grateful. And they need to be told why they are different to anybody else. It is not because of anything they've done, the law. It's not because of the law. It's not because of them. It's because of grace. Now, going on. We might get this finished. We might get this section finished. Near the end of page 127 of this book, Alexander goes on to say, I do not mean to sanction the absurd practical error that for a time, it may be a considerable time, the gospel should be withheld from the people. I completely agree. He says, For what is this but to usurp the prerogative uh, of God? Uh, uh, there's always, you know, when you ever read for a while, and there's always that one word you can't pronounce. In any audience, he says, Who can tell but there may be at least one convinced sinner who needs instantly the consolations of the gospel. And they who have already believed need continually the sprinkling on their heart and conscience of the same blood which at first gave them peace. Just point I was making earlier there. Some people who are converted, very tender conscience, they see they're, they're a sinner, they need comfort. Now, there are some Christians who are backslidden and they need to realize how, how terrible their sin is. Um, so there needs to be careful and loving application. Alexander says, Let no minister of Christ therefore presume to keep back during a single sermon the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, which probably some poor sinner is hearing for the first time. Who that has read the Acts of the Apostles does not know that days and weeks are not necessary for the con conversion of a soul by Almighty Grace. Conviction by the law, reconciliation by the gospel may sometimes take place in a few minutes. The spiritual workman, therefore, who wields the two-edged sword of the Spirit, must so direct and manage this weapon of proof as to render it most efficient in penetrating between the joints and marrow, yea, between the soul and the Spirit, so that the very thoughts of the heart may be made manifest. Last paragraph now. I'm going to finish off with a few comments on this, but this is on page 128 of the pastor. Let the law be faithfully proclaimed as binding on every creature and as cursing every impenitent sinner and let the utter inability of man be satisfied. Satisfy its demands by be clearly set forth. Not as an excuse, but as a fault. And then let the riches of grace of Christ Jesus be fully exhibited and freely offered and let all, however great their guilt, be urged to accept the, of unmerited pardon and complete salvation. So both of them needs to be preached, the law and the gospel, and they need to be kept apart. They need to be, it's not like in your, you're going to be, okay, the law, if you're, and you keep it in a nice, neat box, but they are to be kept distinguished. If 
the law and the gospel are mixed. There are some who would say that the, the, the covenant of works before the fall, there's none of that. Now, some of them don't fall into this error who deny that, but that there's really only one covenant going back to the beginning of time. And then you get almost, to an extent, some kind of a mixing between law and grace. And when that happens, when that happens, you end up with grace that is no more grace, and work that is no more works. They can't mix. People will try to infuse some degree of grace into the pre-fall covenant, and then some degree of works into the, the basis by which we're acceptable before God after the fall. But the reality is this. We are accepted only because, only because of the, of the work of Christ. We can't help that, we can't add to that, and we can't in any way contribute to that. We are accepted before God by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith alone. Faith being the only instrument, the alone instrument of salvation. This is why justification by faith alone is so vital. But it is also at the same time when we don't want to, con we, we should never contaminate the gospel. We should also call the converted sinner to obedience of Christ. That's the law. Laying out what are, what we've been called to do, a we've been called to a life of holiness. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. And yes, we fail. Yes, we fall down. Yes, we will not keep it perfectly, but that does not mean it has been set aside. Because if we just say, well, we don't need forgiveness, and that is the effect, really, of just having this new type of law, a lower standard of law, well, then we become arrogant, self-sufficient, self-reliant. See, we don't like to think that we are constantly in need of forgiveness. And the, the, the thing is, we are. We're constantly in need of the Lord's healing balm. We're constantly in need of reassurance because of our sin, of the gospel and his, and his mercies, that his mercy, his, his chesed, you know, the Hebrew word, his mercy or his steadfast love, endures forever. That covenant love that he has for his people endures forever and by knowing this as a believer in Jesus Christ our gratitude should grow in what Christ achieved in our place for we see with more greater depths and we also see at the same time the great need of our neighbors those people who don't know Christ that they need to come to Christ. Now, I'm just going to check. I should have been checking this before. So there's been no emails. Anyway, MegiddoRadio at gmail.com. Um, if you have... I still use the MegiddoFilms at gmail.com email sometimes. 
So that might be sometimes the best place to get me but get a radio m-e-g-i-d-d-o radio at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for programs um, please feel free to send me an email and um, can't promise I'll cover everything but if it's reviews of sermons and things like that um, don't be shy you can ask me and uh Please keep the the program in your prayers, and um, thank you so much for those who have, over the last 10 plus years, been so supportive of the program. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.